Blog Talk Radio. For the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. You can. Hit us up on the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. You can also hit us up on Twitter at GoForItGan, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T, at GoForItGan there on Twitter. You can hit us up there. Uh, if you got any questions, you got any opinions, you got any beliefs, you got any ideas, you can hit us up there and we can talk about it. That's what we do here on this show. Great show lined up for you today. Expect to be joined by... Detroit Lions defensive end Israel Adonage. And we're going to talk to Israel about the upcoming NFL season. Israel spent most of his career in Chicago. Now he is in Detroit. He is in Detroit. And doing big things. He was expected, or he wants to do big things in Detroit, and hopefully he can do big things in Detroit. We're going to talk to him about that. Also, also, expected to be joined by Bernard James of the Dallas Mavericks. Bernard, you know, whirlwind couple of weeks for Bernard. Uh, let go by the Mavericks in order for them to re-sign Monte Ellis, and ultimately they brought him back. But we're going to talk to Bernard about those things. And Bernard also has a basketball academy coming up, so we're going to talk to Bernard about that. And also, one of the stars of Tyler Perry's hit TV show, On Own, The Haves and The Have-Nots, actors, actress, excuse me, Jacqueline Beetham, will be joining us, and we're going to talk to her about the haves and the have-nots. a big-time show, a lot of buzz uh, surrounding that show. A lot of people are talking about that show. A lot of people are watching that show. So we're going to talk to Jacqueline about that. You remember this? This was from February 2012. This is Ryan Braun at the podium. If I had done this intentionally or unintentionally, I'd be the first one to step up and say, I did it. By no means am I perfect, but if I've ever made any mistakes in my life, I've taken responsibility for my actions. I truly believe in my heart, and I would bet my life that this substance never entered my body at any point. Well, I think it's time for Ryan Braun to die, because he said he would bet his life, his life, that the substance did not enter his body. Well, let's fast forward now to July of 2013, Ryan Braun suspended for the rest of the season for performance-enhancing drugs, PEDs. I mean, (laughs) you know, and the thing about it is a lot of people believed Ryan Braun. And I have to admit he was very believable, but at the same time, I knew he got off because of a technicality. I I knew it was a technicality. 
the technicality is the reason that Ryan Braun was able to continue to play. I mean, the reality is he should have got suspended. I mean, the collector, the guy that collected the substance, and who Ryan Braun said mishandled it. He said he mishandled it. He mishandled the substance. He mishandled the urine. I mean, you know, Ryan Braun, similar to what happened with Lance Armstrong, any means necessary, whoever he needed to topple is whoever he needed to topple in order to protect who he is, or at least the perception of who he is. You know, he, he had to protect it. Nick Johannik, the collector, the collector, you know, it's just crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. And it's not Nick Johannik. I have the wrong name. But, you know, the collector, I mean, he deserves an apology. He deserves an apology. Ryan Braun needs to reach out. And I hope he did reach out to him. Dino Lorenzi. Dino Lorenzi, Jr., the collector, the guy that collected the urine. Ryan Braun urine sample. The guy who Ryan Braun said mishandled the urine sample. The guy who pretty much his not taking the urine sample, well, taking the urine, collecting the urine sample on a Saturday, I believe, and then taking it to FedEx on a Monday, his inability to get the sample out right away basically got Ryan Braun off because Ryan Braun pretty much got off on a technicality. We all know Ryan Braun. I knew at the time Ryan Braun was dirty. He got off on a technicality. It's similar to if I got caught stealing at a store and the police didn't read me my rights before they arrested me. That's basically what happened. That's essentially what happened. Ryan Braun got off on a technicality. He got off on a technicality. He owes Dino Lorenzi Jr. an apology. He owes a lot of people. An apology. I mean, you listen to him, and he sounds so convincing. You listen to him. He, he sounds like he's telling the truth. You wouldn't think this guy would tell a lie. You wouldn't think that Ryan Braun would told that lie, the lie of, I did not take any type of substance, knowingly or unknowingly. I mean, his lie was very believable, at least not to me. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it on any level. I didn't believe it on any kind of level whatsoever. Ryan Braun at the time got off on a technicality, and that stands to be true because he is, as we all know now, guilty. He is guilty. But here's the thing. Okay. So he sits out the rest of this season. Well, last I checked, the Brewers are 42 and 58, 16 games under 500, 20 games out of first place, and last place in the NL Central. Okay, so what is the loss? What is the loss? He's still expected to earn over $100 million on his contract. So he's still. Essentially keeps the money, lost $3 million in salary. But, again, 
he's expected to still rake in a hundred plus million dollars. Still expected to rake in a hundred plus million dollars. So he's raking in that money. He gets to sit out the rest of the season. The Brewers stink. Sixteen games under five hundred. Twenty games out of first place. They stink. So where is the penalty? There's really not a penalty. Maybe he, uh, you know, there's talk he lost some endorsement deals here, endorsement deals there. Still getting a hundred million dollars. Still getting a hundred million dollars. Ryan Braun. Unfortunately, just like a lot of people we find out in sports, is a fraud. He is nothing more than a fraud. I mean, that, that, that's it. He is a fraud. He stepped up to the podium. In February of 2012, after his appeal was successful. Let me let you hear this again. If I had done this intentionally or unintentionally, I'd be the first one to step up and say, I did it. By no means am I perfect, but if I've ever made any mistakes in my life, I've taken responsibility for my actions. I truly believe in my heart, and I would bet my life that this substance never entered my body at any point. I mean, if you knew you were lying, did you have to say bet your life? I mean, that's a little extreme, especially when you're lying. I I, I can understand if you're telling the truth, but you're lying. You're lying. You are lying, and you said that you would bet your life, your life, and you're lying. That's 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 big. That's it's almost sick in a way. I mean, in some way, it's kind of sick that you're willing to step up on a podium and say after you know in your heart you took performance-enhancing drugs, you know that you're guilty. You know it. You know it. And you step up to the podium, and you basically put your life on the line? Wow. That's all you could say is wow. All you could say is my, my, my. That's just amazing. That's just, that's another level of lying, I believe. I, I, I think, you know, there's lying and there's another level of lying. There's white lies, there's a lie, and there's what Ryan Braun did. I, I mean, it's a white lie, it's a lie, and there's a Ryan Braun. I mean, a Ryan Braun is essentially you put your life on the line. You say, you bet your life, your life, that you did not use performance-enhancing drugs, your life. We're talking about your life. Your life. We're talking about your life. Not anything else. We're talking about your life. You put that on the line. You put your life on the line, basically. Wow. Wow. Why don't, and and it can be difficult sometimes, but why can't people just tell the truth? And I'm not saying it's always easy to tell the truth especially when you do wrong. It doesn't always come out naturally. It doesn't happen easily. The the natural thing to do sometimes is to protect yourself. That's the natural thing to do at all costs, protect yourself. And that's essentially what Ryan Broad tried tried to do. He tried to protect himself, protect his integrity, protect his brand. 
That's what he tried to do. That's what he tried to do. But, I mean, did you have to say life? Could you say it, you know, I... Uh, you know, is there anything else? You could say anything else, but you, you said your life. I mean, that's, that's, that's deep. You said life, your life. I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I hate to belabor the point, but I, I'm kind of tripping off of that. I mean, he, he's saying his life, he bets his life that, you know, he did, this substance did not enter his body, knowingly or unknowingly. He bet his life. Is, is there anything more than your life? I mean, all you can say is wow. I mean, it's just wow. The wow, 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 wow. I mean, who does that? Who does what Ryan Braun did? Who says they were bet? They, they're basically saying their life. This is my, I, I put this on my life. I put this on my life. Ryan Braun said that. Said that. He said that. And the reality is now, okay, I, I look at this suspension, and unless the contract is voided, uh, unless he's not going to get that hundred-plus million that's coming his way over the next few years, unless that's voided in any way, what's, the, what's the really the penalty? There is none. I, I guess it gives baseball an opportunity to puff their chests out and say, you know what, we're doing what we can to clean up the game. It gives baseball an opportunity to pump out their chest. Well, 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 oh, well. And, you know, perception is reality, but the reality is, even if pumping out their chest, have you really done anything here? Yes, he loses $3.4 million. Okay, but what is that when you've got another 100 coming your way? It's nothing. Melky Cabrera, same deal. You know, he was suspended last year. Oh, he was—he becomes a free agent, ultimately signs with the Toronto Blue Jays. So, I mean, it, he, these guys are still getting paid, even though, you know what, they're caught with performance enhancing drugs. It doesn't matter; they're still getting paid. It, I mean, until you start talking about voiding contracts, that's the only way you're going to change this whole situation, this whole culture of performance enhancing drugs. And you're not going to stop it, because the thing is. The moment that you have a test that tests for these things, it gets it becomes a little more sophisticated. They find more sophisticated ways. Excuse me, can't even talk. They find more sophisticated ways to beat the test. And the reality is, they're going to find more and even more and even more sophisticated ways to beat the test. Whatever happened. To Ryan Braun, that particular, I mean, why he did it, I guess, is simple. Would you take performance-enhancing drugs if it gave you an opportunity to possibly get hundreds of millions of dollars? I think if we put that on the line and, and we, we told that to people that, hey, I have this pill for you, guess what? This pill will make you a better best baseball player. This pill will give you an opportunity to make hundreds of millions of dollars. Most people would think about it. Most people would think about it. A lot of people would think about it. You're definitely going to give it some thought. You definitely are going to give it some thought. Some people, probably, most would probably take it. And can you blame them? I can't. I wouldn't. I mean, 
This is an exhibit A of why not take it. Okay, he got caught, but he still has that big-time money coming his way. Okay, so he lied. Okay, he's not going to jail. Uh, so some people think, okay, his reputation is sullied a little bit. Okay, he's not going to jail. He still has $100 million coming his way. So where, 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 tell me, tell me. I can't find any, you know, any deterrent to this. There, unless you talk about voiding contracts, I don't see that happening anytime soon. But unless you're talking about that, this will continue to happen. This will continue to happen. People will continue to use performance-enhancing drugs. Players will continue to use them. And, again, I can't blame them. I cannot blame him. I, I won't blame him. Um, the reality is his contract is not voided. And, and again, I'm, I, I know I, I may sound like I'm belaboring the point, but he still has $100 million coming his way. He still has $100 million coming his way. Is that a deterrent? I mean, it's, it's just like your kid, you know? It's just like your kid. If your kid is, you know, doing well, doing bad in school, are you still going to still give him, give him a, a spanking and give him $20? I mean, you're still going to give him a, you're gonna give him a spanking and still give him $20. That's basically what's going on here. Okay, Ryan, here's a little spanking. You did wrong. I'm glad you admitted it. You did wrong. Here's a little spanking for you. Uh, but I still have $100 million coming your way. I still have $100 million coming your way. Yeah, you did wrong, but guess what? Who cares? Who cares? You still have $100 million coming your way. So what is the reason? Give me any reason why Ryan Braun would stop, or any player would stop using performance-enhancing drugs. Give me a reason why. And Max Scherzer of the Detroit Tigers, pitcher, said it this way. When you intentionally cheat this game by using PEDs, the punishment doesn't fit the crime yet. You can still benefit financially from doing it. Yes, yes Max, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. You can still benefit financially from doing it. You've got to start cutting out contracts. I'm for that, Max Scherzer told the Detroit Free Press. You're right, Max. I mean, you're right. You are so right. You are so right. And here is Ryan Braun's statement. I'm sure you heard it so many times. But, quote, as I acknowledge in the past, I'm not perfect, and I realize now that I have made some mistakes. You realize that now? Please. I'm willing to accept the consequences of those actions. This situation has taken a toll on me and my entire family and has been a distraction to my teammates in the Brewers organization. I am very grateful for the support I received from players, ownerships, ownership and the fans in Milwaukee and around the country. Finally, I wish to apologize to anyone I may have disappointed. All of the baseball fans, especially those in Milwaukee, the great Brewers organization, and my teammates. I am glad to have this matter behind me once and for all, and can, I cannot wait to get back to the game I love. There you have it. Made some mistakes. Made some mistakes. Didn't, specif didn't really specify the mistakes that he made, but he made some mistakes. 
We all make mistakes, right? But I don't think what you did was a mistake. You knowingly, you knowingly, you knowingly used performance-enhancing drugs. You knowingly did that. And you are reaping the benefits of it because you still have a hundred million. You still have a hundred million dollars, hundred plus million dollars coming your way. There is no deterrent here. A Rod is next. Alex Rodriguez is, is, is coming. The, the they're about to call his name too. Alex Rodriguez, and, and apparently, to according to some reports, Alex Rodriguez, there's more on him than there is on Ryan Braun. There's more on A-Rod than there is on Ryan Braun. So, they're about to come for A-Rod, too. And Ryan Braun's a fraud, but A-Rod is even more of a fraud. And I say this all the time. And But do you really remember the time where we were talking about Alex Rodriguez as possibly the new clean home run king? The clean home run king? He was supposed to be the clean one. He was supposed to be the one that, you know, break the record, break uh, Hank Aaron's record, and he was supposed to be the clean. He was supposed to be clean. He was going to be clean. He was going to be the good one, the good guy. And... Obviously, he's not. I mean, A-Rod is, is the fraud of all frauds. And Ryan Braun is up there, too. But A-Rod is, a, I think A-Rod is, is, is a bigger fraud. I mean, A-Rod is a fraud. And, you know, <laughs> these guys, I mean, A-Rod admitted to it. You know, he had the interview, had to sit down with Peter Gammons. You know, said, you know, I took this, that, what have you. Took it for a three-year stretch, so on and so forth. He admitted it. But then, obviously, he continues to do it again. So he says he he, he took it for a three-year period. He took it for a three-year period. A three-year period, he took steroids. He said it began back in 2001. 2001, he began taking PEDs. And let's look at the numbers. When he was taking PEDs, which he admitted back in 2001 to 2003 he was taking PEDs, when he was taking PEDs, when he was taking PEDs, Back in 2001, 2003, batting average 305, average home runs per season 52, slugging 615. The other years, when he was not taking PEDs, 39 home runs, 574 slugging percentage. I mean. <laughs> So the reality is the reality is Alex Rodriguez is a fraud. 
Brian Braun is a fraud. And I look at this whole situation, and <laughs> again, A-Rod signed that big-time deal with the Texas Rangers. Big-time deal with that Tex- with the Texas Rangers. A-Rod's made a lot of money. A-Rod has made a lot of money. Would A-Rod still have been a successful baseball player without the use of PEDs? Probably. Would he have been as good as he actually turned out to be? Probably not. I mean, Alex Rodriguez has benefited from the use of PEDs. It has gotten him a lot of money over the years, a whole lot of money, a whole lot of money. And I look at this whole situation, and yes, in order for change to be, in order for, for baseball to totally clean up their sport, they have to take money they have to they have to give teams the option to void contracts that's the only way you're going to really change some things in the game of baseball when you start messing with people's money is when people start to react you start messing with your money that's when people start to 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 do certain things that's when people start to take things a little more seriously the moment you mess with their money until you do that, I mean, unless you're going to mess, unless you're going to take money away from players, I'm talking about serious money, voiding contracts. Unless you're doing that, this will continue to happen. This will continue to happen. This will continue to happen, and I don't see any change in this. I really don't see any change happening. And let's be honest. Baseball has benefited from PEDs. You remember Sosa and McGuire and then guys hitting home runs left and right, right and left. Guys Guys doing big time, guys putting on putting up big time numbers, guys putting up big time numbers, big time numbers. I mean, guys putting up big time home run numbers, big time home run numbers. Remember that? Guess what? It helped the game grow. It helped make the game more exciting. Chicks dig the long ball. Chicks dig the long ball. They do. Chicks dig the long ball. And baseball benefited from that. (laughs) Baseball benefited from that. Chicks dig the long ball. And who was the benefit? The game of baseball. The game of baseball benefited from those crazy home run numbers. They benefited. They benefited. 
They benefit from it, benefited from all these numbers. They benefited from the home run numbers. They benefited very well. They benefited from the numbers. And it's almost hypocritical in a lot of ways. Not almost, it is hypocritical for baseball in a lot of ways to say, you know, look what we're doing and blah, 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 blah. You benefited from this system. You, the sport of baseball, has benefited from PED usage. You have benefited from that. You benefited from that. And so I really have nothing else to say. It is what it is. A-Rod, Ryan Braun, you guys are flat out frauds. Switching gears now. Switching gears now. We're going to bring in a guy now who is preparing for the upcoming NFL season. It's a change for him. Spent nine years in Chicago. Now he's off to Detroit. So this is an opportunity for him to play the Chicago Bears two times in the 2013 season. I know he's loving that. Let's bring him in now. Defensive end, Israel Adonijay. Israel, how are you, man? Hey, what's going on? Uh, not too much. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on the show. Now, Israel, let's get right down to it. Nine years in Chicago. You're opening your 10th season now, and you're in training camp with the Detroit Lions. Is it a surreal feeling right now? You know, it, it actually feels it feels the same. You know, um, just another camp, you know, and, and just – Spending the, the the morning with the guys and the team, it, it's you know it's it, it's just that training camp feeling and, and that energy and the excitement and you know in the team meeting today, just it's just like it's it's, it's a great feeling and it's very exciting to to get ready for another season. Now you were able to stay in the NFC North, and I heard you say this gives you an opportunity to a stay close to Chicago and b stay in a similar style defense that you played in Chicago. Talk about how these things factored in your decision to go to the Lions. Well, I think when it came down to it, you know, the first the first real kind of impressive thing about coming to Detroit was just their their passion about having me there. You know, I think it's always important to go go to a system where they really want and want you to be a part of it and and, and have a, a role for you. And and they had that here in Detroit, and and then all the other things kind of just were were a bonus. You know, being being in the same division, being able to to play six games out of the year that I'm very familiar with, and and you know just uh, playing the same defense, the same four-three attacking uh, style front, so those things were just really uh, just all together made it really a perfect fit for me. Now you look at the Detroit Lions last year. This was a team that had some discipline issues. I look at you. You're a guy who's kept himself out of trouble. A guy who's done big things in the community. Do you feel like you can help change the culture in that locker room? You know what? I'm, that's not my focus. My focus isn't coming in to try to change the culture or, or anything along those lines. My, my focus is to come in and just be the best teammate that I can be to to, to this, this group of guys, to my teammates, to to earn their trust and and to know that that uh, you know the guy I line up beside, you know, have full trust in him that he's going to do his job, and and I think that. 
that's first and foremost. And after that, in the locker room, when you have uh, a room full of guys who believe in each other, trust in each other, and and are working hard towards one common goal, that that is gonna gonna lead towards a successful year. So that's the focus. And and uh, today, you know, everybody coming together, working out together as a team. I mean, uh, it's, it's gonna be a special group of guys. We're talking to Detroit Lions defensive end Israel Adonijah. As training camp starts with the Detroit Lions. At this point, do you know what your role will be with the Lions? You know, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's I think it's going to be the same as it always has. You know, put my hand on the ground, and, and whether it's on the end or on the interior line, you know, do my job. That's, you know, rush the passer and, and stop the run and, and make plays every time I step on the field. And and and, and I think that's that's the the top to bottom of kind of what my role is going to be. You know, whenever they call my number and I get in the game, uh, give 100% and, 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 and make plays. Now, Israel, I'm going to give you a date. November 10th, 2013. Does that date mean anything to you? <laughs> That's a day where we'll be playing a, another game, playing another great team, and where we got to show up and, 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 and play hard. <laughs> You know, and then I know, I know that's when that's when we we've been playing, uh, you know, my old team, and um, you know, without question, you know, going back to somewhere where I, I've been for for ten years, there's going to be, you know, that all the emotional connections that are attached to that. But when you strip that all the way, you know, strip that all the way, it's it's another game, and and regardless of who I'm lining up against or or who's back there, you know, taking a ball or running the ball, I have a job to do, and and you know, that job is is. You know my focus and and my team. We have to focus on executing our game plan and, and working to win win that game like any other game. What is your memories of Chicago? You spent a long time there. What are your memories? What's your fondest oh, I mean, memory? Well, well, Chicago is, is always going to be home. I mean, ten ten years in in that great city. A lot of great friends and family in Chicago. My, you know, a, a lot of things I do off the field is rooted in Chicago. So that's always going to be you know a, a, a home for me. So. You know the memories are endless on and off the field. The relationships I've built um, are long-lasting. You know beyond the game. So, so I mean, for me, it's, it's I don't look at it as something where I have to you know reminisce on or remember on. I mean, Chicago is you know is always going to be a, a, a part of my life and my network for for many years. Now, your former teammate Brian Erlacher said he never wants to see the Bears win a championship, at least not without him. Do you feel the same way? You know, I don't. I don't know if that's exactly what he said. He said he'd be happy for the guys that, you know, that he knows on the team, and you know, his guys. You know, like if if they won a championship, I'd be happy for for you know Pep and Lance and 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 Peanut and, and Manly, Rock, like the guys that that I grew up with. You know, um, right. yeah, it, it hurts not to be there with them, but you know, your guys that are are your friends and your brothers. You know, you you want to celebrate and enjoy with them, so. You know, obviously, you know, my focus is winning a championship, you know, with my team here uh, for the city of Detroit. And, and, you know, that's first and foremost. But, you know, for, you know, if someone I have a personal relationship, you know, in any team wins, you know, I'm, I'm you know, you celebrate that with your friend, you know. So uh, outside of that, you know, the focus is, is winning for, for your team. We're talking to uh, Detroit Lions defensive end Israel Donahue and Israel <laughs> – I mean, I got I got mixed up there. It's right, been a long right. time. It's been a long time in Chicago. 
You look at the Bears last season, the whole situation with Lovey Smith. I mean, you guys won 10 games last season. Lovey Smith had a lot of success with the Bears. Parents in the NFC title game made it to the Super Bowl as well. Do you feel like Lovey Smith got a raw deal with the Bears? Uh, I, I do. And, and 10, 10 wins in the NFL is hard to do, period. You know, that's not an easy feat. So, you know, um, for him to lose his job after having a successful year, you know, it was it was dis you know disappointing. You know, as players, you know, I really wish we could have done more to to keep a great man in in his leadership role because he is he's one of a kind as far as a, a leader and 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 the way that he brought us together. I mean, when you look at the success of the Chicago Bears, you know, since he has been there, a lot of those successes are in part to Coach Smith and the guys that he brought into the system and the guys that he brought on and, and how he, you know, developed that culture in that locker room. So, you know, um, it was disappointing, but, you know, he's he's an incredible, you know, man of character. So, and across the board, there are a lot of guys, including myself, like at the end of the day, you know, for, for Coach Smith, I'd go to the ends of the, of the earth and, 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 you know, any fight, you know, that he called upon me to get in. I mean, he's one of those guys that, you know, I would fight for. So, you know, I couldn't have been, you know, uh, just prouder to play play for coach and, and just to be, you know, one of the guys that, that he kind of mentored over the years. Definitely. And Lovey Smith, you know, had a great run with the Chicago Bears. And I, I like yourself, believe that, you know, he, he still should have a job. It's not with the Bears somewhere else, but it is what it is at this point. I look at you now, Israel, 32 years old. In the NFL, we all know they're always looking to get younger and cheaper. What have you done in this offseason to continue to have that success so they won't go younger and cheaper on you? You know, just continuing to work. I mean, just the, the focus I had when I came in at 21 is, is the same focus I'll continue with, and that's just to, to work hard and, and you know, work to be the standard is, is what a, a coach told me my first year when I got in the league. He said, Izzy, when you get into this camp, be the standard, you know, do everything you can to set yourself apart. And, you know, uh, 10 years later, now going into, you know, season 11, you know, uh, that that statement holds true. You know, go in and just work and, and, and do whatever you can to be the standard. And, and that's my focus, and that's what I'm going to try to achieve. And, and you know, ultimately, you know, I got to get caught up on the playbook and, and the tech and the terminology. But outside of that, then it's, it's you know, lining up with my teammates and uh, winning together. How difficult is that? I mean, at this stage of your career, you know, you, you spent your whole career in Chicago. Now you're going here and, and the system and the terminology is a, is, is a little different. How difficult is it for you at this stage of your career to learn a new defense? I mean, it's not difficult. It is. It's the same defense. It's just you know, uh, new terminology, new some some tweaks and different nuances. But you know, that's just that's studying. You know, that's getting in the playbook. That's you know, a commitment to learning. So, you know, every day, in the morning, in the evening, you know, until it's really ingrained and it's locked in. You know, I'm gonna go over my plays. I'm gonna watch the film. I'm just gonna make it. I want to. I want it. So it's you know, everything is second nature and, and automatic. So. You know that's uh, that's that's what you got to do in order to 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 get to that point where, you know, um, there's just no questions as far as what the system you know requires of, of me as a player. So, you know, I'm committed to doing that and, and I'm ready. We're talking Alliance defensive end Israel Adonijah. Israel, you're doing big things in the community with the Israel Adonijah Foundation. Your your foundation does work in Canada, West Africa, Chicago. 
Tell us about this great foundation. Yeah, I mean, I guess first I have to say, you know, I'm I'm just a part of the team. You know, when you talk about service and, and touching people's lives, it's you only achieve the things that we've been able to achieve by a lot of different people from different backgrounds coming together. So I'm, I'm fortunate to to just use my platform of being in the NFL to to highlight uh, an incredible group of sponsors and supporters, both personally, individually, and, and corporately. And and uh, what we do is we work primarily with youth, and we focus on social and emotional development, which is for us five core skills that we try to teach every child in our programs to to becoming their becoming successful and achieving their success. And and that's understanding who you are as an individual, your skills and your your gifts. Every person, regardless of your background you have a gift and ability, understanding how that gift and how you fit into your community and and can help make the community a a better place, putting a plan together for your life, your short-term goals, your long-term goals, and then making the right decisions day in, day out so you can stay on track. And and for me, the most important key that kind of brings it all together is, is being able to communicate effectively with just not just the people in your circle, but with the world, understanding that the world is a big place and you've got to be able to connect outside of your neighborhood, outside of your, you know, your home, your classroom. You know, you've got to talk to, to people, you know, um, across the world and, and business people and, and just that spectrum is huge. So that's what we do. And judging by judging by some of the things going on in Chicago right now with with the crime and everything and some of the violence that we're seeing, I mean, things that you're doing in the community are very, very important. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, it's, it's just, I think it's what everyone can do. You know, um, it just right. you just don't have to be a prof- professional athlete. You know, everybody has a platform. You know, you're on the radio, you have a voice, you, you have a story, you have a message. You can, right. you know, you can change somebody's life. Everybody across every background, there's something you can do in your neighborhood to, to, affect change and be a change agent so you know that's you know the the challenge and and the call to action for everyone you know do what you can you know not above and beyond but just do what you can with what you have to to make our world better and now your foundation recently won the daily point of life award tell us about this award and what it means to your foundation and what it means to you you know, it's uh, for me. It's, it's it was just a great honor to to be able to step out and, and represent all the people that do the work for uh, our foundation and 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 you know are in the schools and and in the, our our uh, school after school program. You know, running all the programs we do. So for me to accept this point of light and and really is is the points of light is it's a celebration of service. You know, people who have just said I'm gonna. I'm going to do something to make my world better and have stepped forward and, and have mobilized people to volunteer, to impact, to change the world. You know, uh, these, you know, points, points of light are chosen to, to, to receive this award. And, and we were just fortunate to receive, uh, to be one of them. And, and the day we were able to spend in Washington with the presidents was, was incredible. Uh, but the most exciting part for me was really being able to, hear and, and connect and talk with some of the other points of light and 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 just hear the stories of why they said it's time for me to do something in my community why they they chose to stand up and, and make a change so it was uh, was incredible and i said daily point of life it actually is daily point of light award and, and now israel you are in detroit and do you see yourself spreading your foundation out to detroit and doing some things in the uh, motor city uh, no, we're as as kind of a, the organization. We'll stay in 
we'll stay in Chicago and, and okay. we'll just continue focused with the mission and, and what we're doing. Uh, but here, me being here for the in Detroit, you know, I'm, I'm committed to to really partnering with the Lions community relations and 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 uh, the team here, and and just lending my voice and 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 who I am to to partnering with them to help achieve their initiatives as far as you know community and and coming together to impact their youth and in the programs that they serve. So that's what we're looking to do. Now, where can uh, people find information about this great foundation? Yeah, you can you can go to to the website. It's israelidanaje.org, or you can follow us on Twitter at Team IIF at Team IIF. You can uh, tweet at us and and uh, just you know connect with us and find out all the good things we're doing and and, and join the team. Now, Israel, one final question before we get out of here. Winston Lions, you know, you guys, very good quarterback, Matt Stafford. you got Calvin Johnson. You have some pieces on the defense, Adamic and Sue, Farley, to name a few. Do you feel like the Detroit Lions are legitimate Super Bowl contenders? You know, I, I think legitimately, you know, the Detroit Lions, the, this group of guys, they have all the, the pieces that they need to, to be a championship team. Literally, I mean, just just running with the the team to today and and being on the field with the guys, you can you can see that it's it's a great group of guys and and the talent that they have. I mean, you know, watching watching some of those guys that you mentioned run and 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 just the ability that they have, you know, it's uh it's, it's special to see. So I think you know. Talent and ability, and having all that gift is one thing. You know, without question, the ability to be be champions is here in this building. Uh, so now it just comes to this over the next few weeks, putting in the work necessary, and and doing the things necessary to to put yourself in a position to win Sunday in and Sunday out. Israel, <clears throat> pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck in the 2013 season. Let's do this again. All right, thank you. Appreciate it. Take care. Take care. Israel Donaghy, defensive end for the Detroit Lions. And the Detroit Lions are a team. You know, he, this is a good guy to have in your locker room, Israel Donaghy. A guy, you know, he talked about some of the great things that he's done off the field. I mean, he's a, he's a character guy. And you never can have too many character guys in your locker room. And Israel Donaghy is a character guy. And the Detroit Lions now have a character guy in their locker room. You know, I mean, obviously he says, you know, that's not his role to go in there and kind of change the culture. But at the same time, I mean, having a guy like him in your locker room helps. And the Lions, talented, best, talented football team, excuse me, talented football team. But the thing about it is with the Detroit Lions, they're very undisciplined. They've had some discipline issues on and off the field. I mean, that two years ago, crazy, all the personal foul penalties this team had. And then, you know, some of the, guys, some of the things, excuse me, that happened off the field with Titus Young and LaShore and a few other guys. You know, guys getting themselves in trouble. Guys getting themselves in trouble. And, you know, it helps to have a guy like Israel Adonage in your locker room. It helps to have that in your locker room. Nick Farley, I mean, you know, guys had some issues with discipline. You know, it, it helps. It helps. 
And lions need discipline. And Israel Adonijah is the perfect guy to come on in there and give the discipline that the Detroit Lions need. Pleasure talking to Israel. Wish him nothing but the best of luck. I want to switch gears now to Aaron Hernandez. Um, he had his probable calls hearing the other day. Um, it's I, I, Every time I, I, I just see this story, it just bugs me. It bothers me. It, it, it's, it, it just really bothers me to see. You know, I, and I, I look at Drake's song, started from the bottom, now we're here. And, and and you you listen to that song and it's you know I'm I'm not a big Drake fan I, you know I'm not saying I listen to all his music but I listen to some but you hear that song started from the bottom now we're here so you basically went from the bottom to the top and Aaron Hernandez started from the bottom Bristol Connecticut spent some time in Bristol Connecticut Aaron Hernandez Bristol Connecticut made it all the way to the NFL so he started from the bottom. Now he's here, signed a big-time contract extension, six years, $40 million. So he, made, he was making the money. He was living a, a good life, seemingly living a good life. But to see this, see a guy go from the bottom to the top and now back to the bottom, it's, it's a Shakespearean tragedy. It's, it's, it's a tragedy that, that I hate the most. I've talked about this before, but I... I I hate it the most to see this type of story. I hate to see people go from the to the bottom to the top and back to the bottom. I hate to see it. And that's exactly what we're seeing here with Aaron Hernandez. And, again, he has the presumption of innocence. I, I get that. I, I, I get that. But, you know, all the stories coming out, it, it doesn't seem like he is that great of a guy. He just doesn't seem like he's that good of a guy. He doesn't seem like a good guy. He just doesn't seem like a good guy. And when I when I when I when I see the story, when when I when I read the story, when I when I look at him in court, it just bothers me, man. It just really does something to me. It really upsets me to see it. I hate that story. I hate bottom top bottom. I hate it. I really hate it. And there's not a story I hate than that. I mean, I hate that story. And that's what we're seeing with Aaron Hernandez. We saw him in court, and I I looked at him, and, and, you know, I saw a guy with a beard, a couple cuts in the eyebrows. And and I'm saying to myself, man, dude, you're in court. You're, You're in court. There are perceptions about you out there. There are people who believe that you're a bad guy. There are people who are not willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. In the court of public opinion, you are guilty. You are guilty. And you come in to the courtroom, beard, couple cuts in the eyebrows. I got a problem with that, man. I, I, I have a problem with this guy coming into a courtroom with a full, with a beard and a couple cuts in his eyebrows. You need to shave that beard, son. Someone should have told you to shave that beard, son. You need that beard shaved. 
no excuse for you walking into, into that courtroom with a beard and, and a couple cuts in your eyebrows. I know it's only a beard, and I know it's only a couple cuts in the eyebrows, but as we all know in life, if you haven't figured this out yet, let me school you on something. Perception is reality. What you perceive is what you make your reality. If I perceive that I'm beautiful, I'm going to act like I'm beautiful, no matter what the reality says. No matter what, uh, someone can say I'm the ugliest person in the world. But if I believe I'm beautiful, if I have the perception that I'm beautiful, by golly, I'm beautiful. So perception is reality. You see a sun, I may see a moon. Reality is, you, you probably what you see is probably right. If it's the daytime, and you, you probably do see a sun. But I see a moon. That's my perception, which in turn becomes my reality. Aaron Hernandez, you are a minority, first of all. This is America. It is what it is. I don't need to go any deeper than that. It is what it is. You're a minority. There is a perception of you as being a thug. You're tatted out, tattoos all down the arm, all over the chest, all over the back, all over. You're tatted up. Nothing wrong with that. If that's what you want to do with your body, your money, I'm okay with that. But what I'm not okay with is you going into that courtroom with a beard and with two cuts in your eyebrows. That, to me, I have a problem with. And maybe it's my age. I'm only 37, so I don't think it's that. I just know what's out here. I just know my perception of Aaron Hernandez. This cat comes off as a thug. He comes off as a thug. At this point, there's a whole bunch of circumstantial evidence. We don't have the smoking gun. We don't have the, the murder weapon. We don't have it yet. Yet. May never have it. And you know what? The thing is, this trial may not happen for a long time, another month, another few months, or a year possibly. But the thing is, Aaron Hernandez, a la O.J. Simpson, has money. And money can sometimes get you reasonable doubt. Money can get you reasonable doubt sometimes. And, hey, does it look like Aaron Hernandez is guilty? Guilty of sin. That's the way it looks. He looks guilty of sin. But you don't have to prove that. You don't have to prove that you're innocent in a court of law. You just have to give a little doubt. That's all you got to do. You just have to give some doubt. Aaron Hernandez has money. Money can buy you experts. Money can buy you a lot of things to help your case. Money can do that. Money can do that. According to Carlos Ortiz, Ernest Wallace, another guy who was there, Apparently, Carlos Ortiz, Ernest Wallace, and Aaron Hernandez was there, along with Odin Lloyd, God rest his soul. 
But those guys were there. According to Hernandez, according to records, Hernandez told police that Wallace, Ernest Wallace, said that Aaron Hernandez fired the shots that killed Odin Lloyd. Speculation is that Odin Lloyd knew something about a double murder back in 2012, possibly involving Aaron Hernandez. I know there's a photo out here of Aaron Hernandez holding a gun. Holding a gun. And these were surveillance records, surveillance photos, I should say, released on Thursday. And this is from his home surveillance. I mean, obviously this guy has some problems. Even if he gets off, he has some problems. And and you saw at the end of it, he he told his fiancée, his baby mama, that he loved her. He he mouthed to her that he loved her. You know, you wonder now. Let's just say hypothetically he gets off. Would you get back with Aaron Hernandez if you're his 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 fiance, his baby mama? Would you get back with him? I mean, how could you ever trust this guy? Even I mean, not guilty doesn't mean innocent. And he could get off. But if you ask me, if you put a gun to my head, I'd have to say the man is guilty. But again, 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 be clear. Let's be clear. He has the presumption of innocence. He is innocent until proven otherwise. He is an innocent man at this point. Whether you believe he's innocent or not, he's innocent. I know you have a hard time believing it. I know you have a hard time believing it. Because I do. I know you do too. I bet you we all do. We all have a problem. We all don't believe that he's innocent. I, I don't believe it. And Bill Belichick, he talked to reporters yesterday, his first public comments since the arrest and the release of Aaron Hernandez, quote, I'm going to address the situation involving Aaron Hernandez. I felt that it was important enough to do that prior to the start of training camp. It's a sad day, a really sad day on so many levels. Our thoughts and prayers are with the family of the victim, and I extend my sympathy, really, to everyone who has been impacted. A young man lost his life, and his family has suffered a tragic loss. There's no way to understate that. Those are the words of Bill Belichick. And, I I mean, we we talk about Hernandez and everything, but someone did die that night. And, you know, someone's mama won't have their son. And so it's truly a sad, sad situation. It's a sad situation. I know I'm focusing on Aaron Hernandez, but it really is a sad situation to see this whole situation play out, to see Aaron Hernandez, to see him start from the bottom, go to the top, and now plummet all the way to the bottom. That, my friends, does not get any sadder than that. It it just doesn't. just doesn't. 
And to see that, to hear that, it brings a tear to my eye because I hate to see it. I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate to see bottom, top, bottom. Sad story, Aaron Hernandez. Second hour go for it starts now. Go for it, starting right now, in this hour, expected to be joined by one of the stars of Tyler Perry's The Haves and Have-Nots, actress Jacqueline Beetham. She will be joining us. She will talk about this great show. She's getting a lot of buzz. A lot of people are talking about it. A lot of people are talking about it. And here's how you can tell that this show has a level of popularity. If you're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever else, social media, there's out there MySpace. Do people even go on MySpace anymore? But anyway, if you go on those social media sites, you see a lot of hashtags, the haves and have-nots. You see a lot of people just talking about what's going on. You know that that show is popular. It was like with Scandal. And I never watched Scandal before. And I'm probably in the minority in not watching Scandal. Never seen it, to be honest with you. Never seen the show Scandal. But the thing about it is, I knew it was popular because everybody was talking about it, at least on social media. People were talking about it. That's how you can gauge whether or not a story is important. That's how you can, get engaged, can gauge whether or not a show is resonating with the viewers. That's how you can tell. Go on Twitter. Go on Facebook. Look around. Look at your friends. See what they're talking about. See if they're hashtagging the haves and have-nots. See if they're doing that. See if they're talking about some of the characters. See if they're talking about that. That's how you know if a show is popular. And I see that with the haves and have-nots. I I, I see a lot of hashtags, the haves and have-nots, on a consistent basis. I, I, I see it. So with that being said, I know it's a pretty popular show. That's how I can tell. Again, just go on Facebook, go on Twitter, look at your friends, see what you're talking about. That's how you can tell sometimes whether or not a show is popular or not. Also, Bernard James of the Dallas Mavericks is going to be joining us. Bernard, interesting few weeks for him. As I said at the top of the show, you know what I mean, waved at one point by the Mavericks, brought back now with the Mavericks. And, you know, Bernard has an opportunity with the Mavericks, Bernard put up some decent numbers in the minutes that he got with the Dallas Mavericks, and he's a guy that's shown a lot of promise for the Dallas Mavericks. And that was a guy, you look at it, he was a guy that the Mavericks did not want to release. They didn't want to release Bernard James. They wouldn't do it. But in order for them to get Monte Ellis, it's something they had to do. They had to release him in order to get Monte Ellis, in order to get him to fit under their cap. He had to be waived. And they're very fortunate that no one uh, made a claim on Bernard James. 6'10 center, decent skills. I mean, you don't see that a lot in the NBA. 
hard to find size in the NBA. So size is at a premium in the National Basketball Association. So Bernard James, you thought he was going to get picked up by some team, but he wasn't. And ultimately, he returned to the Dallas Mavericks. We're going to talk to him about that. Also, uh, Mark Cuban has some interesting comments in terms of Dirk Nowitzki, in terms of him, his belief that Dirk Nowitzki is, a, is an MVP candidate, a legitimate MVP candidate. And he is. Anytime you have that kind of skill set, anytime you have the ability that Dirk Nowitzki has, I guess you're always an MVP candidate. Do I think he's going to win the MVP? I don't think so. But Mark Cuban believes, even at the age of 36, that Dirk Nowitzki still is an MVP candidate. We shall see. Talking about the best and being the best, Derek Rose. You forgot about him, right? He hasn't been out in a while. Haven't seen him in a while. Have not seen Derrick Rose on the court. Have not seen him on the court. It's been a while since we saw Derrick Rose. A long time. It's been a long time. It's been a long time since we've seen Derrick Rose. And, you know, we, we a lot of people pushing him to come back. Derrick, come on back. Derrick, come on back. Derrick. I know you're hurting, man, but come on back. You're, you've been cleared by team doctors. Come on back. Come on back. And he wouldn't do it. He said, you know what? Just not ready. I'm just not ready. I'm just not ready. And he, and he talked to CNN, and he was asked point blank, are you, are you the best? Or who? Well, the, the question was, who is the best player in the NBA right now? He said it confidently, according to the ESPN article. Said it confidently. He said it, I guess with no hesitation, Derrick Rose. And, and I guess it goes back to what I was saying about perception and reality. Perception is, at least to Derrick Rose, that he is the best player in the NBA. That is his perception, which in turn becomes his reality. I guess I wouldn't expect him to say anything else. You, you should think of yourself as the best. You should have that mindset. And Derrick Rose believes that he is the best player in the NBA. He is the best player in the NBA. That, that's what Derrick Rose says. Do I believe it? Again, that's his perception, which in turn becomes his reality. Well, my perception is a little different than that, Derek. I believe LeBron James is the best player in basketball. I, I believe, Derek, you can do some things, but I think LeBron James can do more. Derek, you have had success in this league, but I think LeBron James has had more. I mean, it's that simple. It's really, truly that simple. Derek Rose, you're good. You won an MVP. You are one of the better point guards in this game. You are one of the better players in this game. But you are not the best player in the National Basketball Association. You're just not. You're good. You're a superstar. But you're not LeBron James. You're not Kobe. You're not Durant. But you're good. But his perception reality. His perception becomes his reality. 
his perception. It's his reality. But he also says, when asked the question, who's the toughest person to guard in the league? He did say LeBron James. So maybe deep in his heart, he believes that LeBron James is the best player in the NBA. Maybe he believes it deep in his heart, but hey, you know, we always we, we sometimes have to go out there and, and put on a, uh, I guess, a fake front on some level. We we have to put out there that you know what, I believe in me. I believe I'm the best. I am beautiful. I am great. I am wonderful. You know, some people have to put that out there to make them feel good about themselves. Some people have to do that. Some people have to do that. And Derek Rose, we haven't seen him in a while. It's been a long time since we didn't see Derek. And <clears throat> the funny thing is, when I and obviously I don't wish any injury on any player at any time. Period. But the funny thing is, back then when when I was talking about the Bulls and Sixers series uh, a couple of years ago, the series where Derrick Rose would go down with the ACL injury, I said to myself, as a Sixers fan, the Bulls were the team I wanted to play, and it, I wanted to play the Bulls because of injuries, because this was a team that had struggles with injuries. I mean, Derrick Rose was in and out of the lineup that particular season. That was the lockout short season, and he was in and out of the lineup. And, and I said, you know, not, not only to myself, but to you guys out here, that I, as a 76ers fan, wanted to play the Chicago Bulls for the simple fact is this was a banged-up basketball team, and they had a level of vulnerability. They had a level of vulnerability. So I wanted the Sixers to be the eighth seed because I knew if they got the seventh seed, they would play the Miami Heat, and I knew they had no shot against the Miami Heat. But in playing the Chicago Bulls, I knew there was a level of vulnerability. And I didn't, you know, obviously I didn't think Derrick Rose would go down with an ACL injury. Obviously I, don't, I didn't want Derrick Rose to go down with an ACL injury. I didn't want to see that happen. Who would want to see that happen? I didn't. But the thing about it is this. Here's the thing. When I said that, I was—I mean, obviously, I didn't think it was going to happen, but it did happen. Derrick Rose tore his ACL in Game One of that series. Game One, tore the ACL, done for the playoffs, done for the whole entire next season, done. I didn't expect that to happen, but that's—you know—that's just the reality of the NBA, the reality of sports. There's nothing guaranteed in sports. So I've always been a firm believer when you have when you have an opportunity to go get something, go get it and grab it. In terms of if you have an opportunity to win a championship, go get it and grab it. Do what you got to do. Sometimes you got to take risks to be successful. I look at the whole Oklahoma City Thunder situation when they when they traded James Harden. That was a team that you know in a lot of ways thought about the future, and they didn't think about. Didn't think about the now. They thought about the future, and they didn't think about the now. And because of that, because of that, OKC, when Westbrook went down, was a totally different basketball team. A totally different basketball team. And it's unfortunate what happened. Very, very unfortunate what happened with Westbrook and, and Oklahoma City. I mean, that was a very unfortunate situation. And, uh, you know, it is what it is, but I thought at the time, we have an opportunity to go for it. You have to go for it. If you don't go for it, 
then you could miss out on something. And I'm not saying what James Harden at Oklahoma City would have won, what Westbrook not in the line. I'm not saying they would have won. But it would have helped. It, it definitely would have helped. It would have helped to have Oklahoma City, I mean, excuse me, James Harden in the mix. That would have been helpful. That would have been helpful. That would have been very helpful. But it is what it is. I want to switch gears now, and as I said before, as I said before when I started this hour, you can look at your Facebook, you can look at your Twitter, and you can tell whether or not a show is resonating with the viewers. You can tell whether or not the show is having a level of success. And I look at Facebook and Twitter Tuesdays at 9 o'clock, and I see a lot of people talking about this particular show, the has and the have not. So let's bring in now one of the stars of this great show, the lovely, the talented, the beautiful Jacqueline Beetham. Jacqueline, how are you? Good, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much. Jacqueline, everywhere I go, and especially on social media, as I said before, everybody's talking about the haves and the have-nots. <laughs> Do you feel like you guys have people buzzing about this show right now? Yeah, it's been nuts. It's, I mean, it's awesome, but Twitter's been, like, blowing up off the hook and Instagram, everything. Like, it's it's kind of a dream come true. It's awesome. Obviously, it's a dream come true for you now. Jacqueline, you play Amanda Cryer on the has and have-nots. Tell us about Amanda. Amanda is a very introverted introverted girl. She's extremely insecure, and she's a perfectionist. And her goal in life is to make her family proud and happy, but she has her own inner demons, and she's struggling to be herself and make her family proud at the same time because everything her family wants, she doesn't really want. Um, and throughout the show, she eventually finds her security in herself, and she goes through a lot of big life-changing um, circumstances circumstances that makes her find her security. Now, this was a big-time role, big-time opportunity for you. How did this role come about for you? Um, I had a audition out here in L.A., and I got a call back, and they flew me out to Atlanta to meet Tyler Perry. And I booked the show two days later, so it was pretty fast. And the thing about it is I read about your audition. He was dressed up as Medea during your audition, <laughs> correct? Exactly. He was shooting on Medea's Christmas. And, I mean, he's such a busy man that he had to literally bring us in in between takes and in between shots um, and, you know, have our callbacks. So he actually was dressed as Medea. Um, for the callback session. Was that a little weird? Um, I mean, it, it, it's, it's hilarious. They they turned the lights off so we couldn't really see him, and he sat, like, up in the up in a booth, so we okay. weren't, like, distracted. But, you know, <laughs> afterward it was, like, it's kind of hilarious because you always think, like, oh, is he walking around like Medea? And then when I had my callback and he was dressed like Medea, it was kind of, like, just hilarious. We're talking to one of the stars of Tyler Perry's hit show, The Haves and Have-Nots, Jacqueline Beetham. And Jacqueline, I, I read somewhere where you went through the script of The Haves and Have-Nots, and you went through a big portion of the script in one night. 
Talk about your excitement with this whole role and this whole show. Yeah, when right before I flew out to Atlanta, I was only planning to read the pilot episode, but, I mean, it's so good. I ended up reading, like, six or seven episodes, like, right in a row. Um, wow. And I, like, couldn't put it down, and then I was, like, exhausted the next morning when I had to fly out. But, um, I mean, like, is, have you have you watched the show? My wife watches it. Oh, okay. <laughs> My wife watches um, it. I mean, there's always so many things going on, and it's continuous, and it's excitement each episode. So I think for most of the viewers, they understand, you know, why I couldn't put the script down. And, and my wife talks about it all the time. I mean, she she can't put the remote. I mean, she has to put the remote down when watching the show. Can't turn. She loves the show, and she's a big-time fan of this show. Now, again, you're working with the talented Tyler Perry. What is it like to work with Tyler Perry? He's awesome. Um, I think, especially with my character, she she's very dark, and I think in between, you know, shots, he would he would like bring that laughter and fun element of the work back into play because I would get it. She's so serious. Amanda's so serious, and she's such a dark character that I was so grateful to have that and to have like the humor in between, so I wouldn't just sit in this dark mode you know what I mean right but um and I think too like he's so willing to collaborate and if you have any questions you could go to him and he'll be there for you and it was so great to have the creator and writer and director as one person because he knew every shot he knew the storyline back and uh forward forward and backward and that was so wonderful because if I had any question or any idea, I could go to him and be like, does this make sense? And he would let me know. So I think that was a great collaboration to be a part of. Now, how different is Amanda to Jacqueline Beetham? <laughs> she's very different. I mean, I'm very outgoing personality, and she's, I mean, she's very shy and introverted. And I think the only similarity is that I think every girl or guy has gone through some kind of form of insecurity in their life. Right. Um, and I think, you know, that's what makes us stronger human beings is having that insecurity and growing from it and learning and finding our strength and security in life. Now, 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 being that she is so different from you, did that make this role more challenging for you? Um, I think just like, being able to talk to Tyler Perry about it and kind of just doing research and tapping into, like, certain emotions. I, I, would, I would say difficult in the sense that we shot so fast and she is so emotional and it's so dark in almost all the episodes of the first season. So I think that was hard. It was just trying I – wouldn't, I wouldn't really have time to re-tap to myself. Um, and right. I think that was the hardest part. Right. We're talking to one of the stars of Tyler Perry's hit TV show, The Haves and Have Nots. And Jacqueline, your first love is ballet and dancing. You've done a lot of ballet. Uh, you teach ballet. Talk about your love for ballet. Um, I would say ballet is kind of my sense of therapy. Um, okay. It's, you know, it's like it's, if I'm having the worst day and I touch the bar and I'm in my ballet class, like that's all I'm thinking about. 
and I don't have to talk to anyone. I just find, kind of find my center, and I think that's what it is for me is my center. Um, it's just it's the love of my life. I always will have that, um, but I think acting is definitely my second love now. Um, okay. But ballet is almost more like a hobby now. It's not really work anymore, so I almost enjoy it even more now than I used to when I was in ballet companies. Um, okay. And it's exercise, and it gives you endorphins, and it makes me, like, the happiest that I could be. Now, how did you find this love for ballet? Where did it come from? Um, I started doing gymnastics at a young age, but it's kind of, I don't know, it's just you can never really explain things that you connect to, why you connect to them, but it's almost just like electric. You you connect with it, and if, you know, whenever you're good at something or you um, love something so much, it's just kind of there, and... I don't know, like, how, how do I connect with it? Um, I'm trying to think. I, it's just something I love. I don't know why I love it, it so it much just, what I do. It just found you. It just found you. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> now, I was reading somewhere, you know, obviously you have the love for ballet, but I was reading somewhere when you were younger, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you had a pet deer and a rooster. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't when I was younger. Um I think that's on IMDb someone wrote that. I actually that was that was recent. That was in the past five years. Um okay. I rescued a deer. It was on the side of PCH and it still had his umbilical cord and we like couldn't find its mom, so we like took him in and um by the time he was getting older and he was getting antlers. He was living in the house, so we had to um, find a rescue for him, and we actually found a place in Malibu that could take him. Um, and, yeah, that was that. And then the rooster, he actually just passed away like a month ago. Oh, but we had that. him for a long time, yeah. That's okay, he was old. But that was a rescue animal, too. Someone had, like, thrown him on the side of the road. And he was, like, wrapped up in a bag, and he was still alive. So, yeah. How does one care for for a pet deer? How do, how, how do you do that? Where, where does the um, deer stay? What is what? Where, where does the deer stay? Where do you keep them? Where, like, well, we had a house in Malibu, so he actually stayed in our house. Um, when wow. we were living there, yeah, wow. he was crazy. So by the time he was getting too big and he had antlers, we had to give him away, and we found a home for him, so it was fine. But um, yeah, my mother-in-law, I married, and my mother-in-law had worked for like tons of zoos, and she had taken care of all kinds of animals. So she how, knew exactly how what to do. Deer? What it was the deer? Was the deer potty trained? Um, I didn't really take care of that. My mother-in-law did. Okay. That's a question for okay. her. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking to one of the stars of Tyler Perry's hit show, The Haves and Have-Nots, and a lot of twists and turns with the haves and have-nots. What can we expect moving forward? Um, There's a lot of drama to come ahead. We did get picked up for a second season. Um, but. You'll see it, some more sides of Amanda that come out 
in the next few episodes. There's still a lot of drama with her, but there will be a turn soon. Okay, okay. So, fans, make sure you check it out each and every Tuesday night, 9 o'clock Eastern and Pacific on OWN. It's Tyler Perry's The Haves and Have Nots. Jacqueline, I know you're big on Twitter. Where can fans connect with you on Twitter? Um, at Jacqueline D. Thumb. So Is that what you said? I'm sorry? Yes, yes. Where can we connect okay. with you on Twitter? <laughs> sorry. Yeah, oh, at no Jacqueline Beatham is my Twitter, and then Instagram is at Jacqueline Beatham as well. So, fans, make sure you check her out on Twitter. Make sure you check her out on Instagram. And make sure you check her out each and every Tuesday on own, 9 o'clock Eastern and Pacific. It's Tyler Perry's The Haves and Have Nots. Jacqueline, a pleasure talking to you. Wish you, you nothing too. but Thank the best of luck so moving much. forward. Let's Thank do this you so again. Much. All right, sounds good. Thank you. Take care. All right, bye. Jacqueline Beatham, one of the stars of Tyler Perry's hit show, The Haves and Have Nots. I mean, my wife raves about this show, raves about it. And a lot of people are watching. Again, how do you know a lot of people are watching? First of all, it got picked up for a second season. Secondly, 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 go to Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, 9 o'clock on Tuesdays, and see what people are talking about because a lot of people are talking about that show, the has and have-nots. I mean, it's a popular show, definitely a popular show. And a lot of people are, are, are raving about it. A lot of people are raving about the show. A lot of people. A lot of people. But we wish Jacqueline nothing but the best of luck. Moving forward, and I, I mean, I was very intrigued by the deer, as you as you can see. I mean, it was just different, definitely a different thing. Have not seen anything like that, but it's an amazing story, interesting story. But again, pleasure talking to Jacqueline Beatham. I want to go back now. I want to go back to the NFL and talking about the NFL and. You know, talking about training camps opening, a lot of storylines, Andy Reid in Kansas City, the whole situation with the Philadelphia Eagles and their quarterbacks, you know, who who's going to be the quarterback in Philadelphia? Is it Nick Foles? Is it Michael Vick? Is it Matt Barkley? Who, who is going to be the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles? A lot of people are talking about that. A lot of people want to know. And Chip Kelly is saying, you know what, you're not going to find out. You'll know when I tell you, when you need to know. And that's kind of the bottom line in Philadelphia. But I look at the whole situation in Philadelphia, and to me, I think Michael Vick should be the starter. To me, I believe Michael Vick will be the starter. I am not big on Nick Foles. I, you know, I, I saw some promise. I saw some potential. But I didn't see anything that, that blew my socks off. I didn't see anything that made me say, you know what, this guy – is going to be a stud. I, I, I didn't see that. I, I didn't see it. So I'm, you know, I know it's an open quarterback competition, and I know Chip Kelly knows more about quarterbacks than I'll ever know. But I also know this. I've seen, I've seen Nick Foles this season, last season, I should say, and there was nothing about him that made me say, wow. 
There was there was nothing. There was no wow factor when talking about Nick Foles. I, I didn't say wow when I saw Nick Foles. I didn't. I didn't say wow. I didn't say wow. And because of that, I don't believe Nick Foles. I mean, I'm not like blown away by him. And I believe because of that, Michael Vick should be and will be the starter when it's all said and done. Look, you look at Michael Vick over the years. I know a lot of turnovers last season. It was last two seasons. He, he essentially was a turnover machine. I, 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 there's no doubt about it. I can't get around it. It is what it is. But I will say this. This is, you know, the, you, in baseball you get three strikes. And I feel like this is his third and, and, and final opportunity to me. I mean, you look at the whole situation. He had the dog fighting, came out, Philadelphia Eagles signed him. Opportunity number one. Kevin Cobb goes down, signs a new deal with the Eagles, has a, a great opportunity in 2010. But 2011 and 2012 were horrible for Michael Vick. They were not good seasons. Opportunity number two. At that point, a lot of people said it was over for Michael Vick, Michael Vick excuse me, in Philadelphia. It was over for Vick in Philadelphia. Over. Well, Chip Kelly comes in. They restructure his deal, and they give him another opportunity. This is opportunity number three for Michael Vick. And whether he's with the Eagles or not, he's still going to play in this league. But, again, if he wants to stay in Philadelphia, he is going to have to really, really have a better season than he's had in 2011 and 2012. I mean, he was he was not good in 2011 and 2012. There's just no getting around that. But I will say this. This is his third opportunity, his final opportunity. If Michael Vick wants to be relevant in the NFL, Michael Vick wants to stay in the NFL, Michael Vick has to have a level of success. So there's a lot of pressure on him right now. He's fighting for his livelihood. And with that being said, being that he is fighting for his livelihood, I believe Michael Vick is going to come out. I think he's going to take this job with the Philadelphia Eagles. I think he's going to take this job. He's going to earn this job. He is going to earn this job with the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't see Michael Vick. I, anyway, he can't be a backup with the Eagles. That's not going to work. If they determine that, A, Nick Foles is the guy, Michael Vick is probably going to be gone. It's probably going to be uh, Nick Foles, Dennis Dixon, and Matt Barkley. That's what's going to happen if they believe Michael Vick is not the guy. But Michael Vick, to me, this is his last opportunity. This system, to me, gives him an opportunity to have a level of success. He's, he's been you know, re-energized, recharged with this opportunity. I know he said, you know what, before this, before training camp, he wanted to know. He wanted to know. He wanted to know who the starter was going to be coming into the season. He wanted to know. That that's what he wanted to know. He wanted to know who the starter was, who the starter was going to be in Philadelphia. He wanted to know. He wanted to know. He wanted to know. And the thing is, Chip Kelly, <laughs> you're not going to know. Chip Kelly is saying you're not going to know. You're going to have to take this job. 
and I heard Chip Kelly say the other day, the depth chart is in sand. It's basically sand. So there, everybody, everything, everything is in, everything is a battle. Everything is a battle. You want a spot as a starter for the Philadelphia Eagles? You're going to earn it. You're going to have to earn it. You're going to have to earn it. And Michael Vick, I believe, is going to take it. Michael Vick, when it's all said and done, will be a starter for the Philadelphia Eagles. This is the last opportunity, folks. I think this is the last opportunity in terms of being a starter and being viable in the National Football League. I, I, I view this as his last chance. Well, this is his opportunity, and I believe he's going to make good. He, I think he's going to make the most, the, the most of this last opportunity. This is his third strike. Strike number one, the whole dog fighting thing, getting another opportunity. Strike number two, look at 2011 and look at 2012. So he's got two strikes against him. He wasn't good in 2011 and 2012. He has two strikes against him. So his final strike now is this season. What does he do? What does he do? Will he get back on the good foot? Will he perform like he performed in 2012? Will he be that? Will he perform the way he performed in 2012? 2010, excuse me. Can he turn back the clock on some level? This is a great opportunity for him. This is an innovative offense, something that has not been seen on the NFL level. Chip Kelly is doing things his way. He's doing things his way. He's doing it the Chip Kelly way. He's doing it the Chip Kelly way. And the Chip Kelly way is something that has not been seen or heard from before in the National Football League. A lot of excitement in Philadelphia because, hey, we've got a quarterback controversy. That always brings attention and excitement. Hey, you got a new coach who's supposedly innovative, supposedly going to do things differently than we've ever seen before. So we have all those things. All those things in play here in Philadelphia. Should be interesting to see how that situation plays out. Who will? Who will get the job in Philadelphia? Going around the National Football League, Bryant McKinney. Bryant McKinney, a guy who's had weight issues in his career. He's always had them. I mean, you look at the situation with Minnesota where, you know, after the lockout, he came in, what, about 400 pounds, and they eventually sent him packing. They eventually sent him packing. And he landed in Baltimore. He landed in Baltimore. Good landing spot, by the way, because ultimately the Baltimore Ravens would win a Super Bowl. But, again, the Ravens believe at this point he's too heavy. And he played at 352 last season. Played, played at 352 pounds. The Ravens won him lighter. The boy, we got to get you lighter. And, I mean, this is 
something we have seen from Brian McKinney. And Jim Har- John Harbaugh said it point blank. Brian is just too heavy right now. He needs to lose weight. He's too heavy right now. He needs to lose weight. He's got to lose weight. And Harbaugh went on to say, my guess is he lost a quite, a, quite a bit today. He's in good shape, and he's got good cardiovascular fitness. I can tell he's worked hard, but I wasn't real comfortable putting him out there today at that weight. We'll figure it out in the next 24 to 48 hours when we figure out the best way to deal with it. He'll be out there. So there you have it. Uh, Brian McKinney is out of shape. Well, not out of shape per se, but he's not at the weight that the Ravens want him at. So he's got to work that out. A.J. Green now of the Cincinnati Bengals twisted a knee in practice. Twisted a knee in practice. And according to reports, he planted that left foot as he went for the ball, and he twisted the knee. He grabbed the knee immediately after and, you know, had the hands on top of his helmet and writhing in pain. So he was in pain after that. He's one of their best players, one of their best offensive players, one of their best players, period. And you can't lose a guy like him moving forward. You can't. You can't. And hopefully, if you're if you're uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, hopefully A.J. Green will come back. Hopefully. But at this point, he's a guy right now. He is a guy right now that twisted his knee in practice. And, you know, the, the, the way it sounds doesn't look good. But hopefully he can get himself back and ready to go for the 2013 season. Cincinnati Bengals need him. And how about the Cincinnati Bengals? Hard knocks again. Hard knocks with the Cincinnati Bengals again. You know, the, the, the Bengals were on hard knocks before, and it wasn't a bad show, actually, with the Bengals. Fairly, uh, fairly exciting. Fairly exciting. And, you know, obviously they had Chad Ochocinco at the time, so that added to the excitement. That added to the excitement, but he's not, he's no longer there. But they'll find different stories and angles to, to, to go after. They always do. They always do. They always find various stories and, and angles to, to use. They always find a way to make it exciting. And Hard Knocks is always exciting. It's always something you look forward to. You look forward to Hard Knocks. You, you look forward to the opportunity to see various storylines. You look forward to the opportunity of seeing guys getting cut. I mean, I, I, I guess in, in some respect it's kind of uh, – is it wrong on our part to, to to watch and to like to watch to see people get cut, to see people's dreams get taken away? I mean, we, we all watch Hard Knocks, and we all watch for that particular thing to happen. We all watch for it. We, 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 whether you, you say it out loud or say it to yourself, you're watching to see who is going to get cut. You're watching to see the reaction of the players who get cut. You are. You're watching it. And that's why people keep coming back for more and more and more. They enjoy watching players getting cut. They enjoy watching 
players and their reactions after getting cut. They were, we, we enjoy it. We enjoy it. Is it right? Probably not. Probably not. But is it enjoyable? Yes, it is. It is and I, I guess enjoyable is the wrong word. Let me, let me, enjoyable is the wrong word. Is it, is it compelling? Is it interesting? Yes. I think that's the better. I think that's better. Is it compelling? Is it interesting? I want to go back now to Alex Rodriguez and this whole situation, this whole mess, this whole fiasco. The whole situation with his quad. Is he hurt or is he not hurt? I mean, is he having quad issues or is he not having quad issues? What is going on? What's going on? I mean, at this point, if you're the Yankees, you don't want Alex Rodriguez around. You don't want Alex Rodriguez around, and I can't blame you. I mean, he's a distraction. Obviously, he's a shell of himself, and obviously, he's a steroid cheat. He's a PED cheat. He takes PEDs or has taken PEDs. I mean, I, I think at this point, it becomes evident, it becomes obvious. I mean, the Yankees doctors say that he's hurt. Alex Rodriguez has another doctor, Dr. Michael Gross, look at his MRI, and Michael Gross says he's okay. So, the Yankees say he's hurt. Michael Gross Says he's not. Dr. Michael Gross says he's not. Who do you believe? Who do you believe? You have a hard time believing Alex Rodriguez, right? I mean, he, he, he is a fraud. It's kind of hard to believe a fraud. Alex Rodriguez is a fraud. So who do you believe? Who do you believe in this situation? Yankee says he's hurt. Alex Rodriguez says he's not. The Yankees just want this guy to go away. They want this guy to go far, far, far away. They want him away. They don't want anything to do with this guy. $275 million given to Alex Rodriguez by the Yankees. $275 million. Wow, that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. You talk about starting from the bottom and now we're here. I mean, that's a lot of money to give to this guy. And the thing about A-Rod at this point, he's a shell of himself. He's not the same player as he sat in the dugout and watched his team lose in the NLDS last season. Sat in the dugout helplessly, allegedly getting phone numbers as he sat in the dugout getting phone numbers from females as he chilled out in the dugout because he stunk. He stunk to join up. The Yankees had to do something. He had to do something. And now at this point, since A-Rod went out and got that second opinion, the Yankees are possibly looking into some type of discipline for Alex Rodriguez. That's how you know at this point, the Yankees don't want no, want, want no dealings with Alex Rodriguez. That's how you know. 
I mean, they're, they're looking at discipline. I mean, you pay somebody $275 million, you're looking to find ways to get him on the field. You're not looking to find ways to keep him off the field. The Yankees don't want him on the field. It's very evident. It's very obvious. And again, could you blame him? Could you blame him? And Yankees say no. A-Rod says yes. A-Rod wants to be activated. He wants to play Friday. That's what he wants to do. He believes he's ready to play on Friday. The Yankees don't believe that he is. They don't. They don't. And, hey, the Yankees believe, hey, A-Rod, you didn't follow what you needed to follow, the rules, the procedures. You didn't follow it. You did not follow it. You didn't. And the rule that we're talking about, as there's a rule in the collective bargaining agreement between the players and the the owners, and the rule is a player shall inform the club in writing before seeking a second medical opinion. And this is Article 13, Paragraph D. Players are supposed to use a shared list of doctors, which Gross, the chief of orthopedics at Hackensack Medical Center in New Jersey, is not on. He's not on that list. He's not on that list. So, wow. He's not on that list. So maybe the Yankees can find a way. Maybe they found their out. I mean, (laughs) maybe they found their out. I mean, (laughs) sad. You look at Alex Rodriguez to to, to, to think that you will try to find ways to keep him off the field. And I'm not saying the Yankees are, are, you know, doing anything deceptive, but if, if you know, if he's not cleared by the team doctors, he's not cleared by the team doctors. It's just that simple. It's that simple. And it's at this point, it's time for Alex Rodriguez to go away. Just let's just go away. You're you're a cheat. You're a liar. You're a fraud. Go away. Go somewhere. Had enough of you. Had enough of your madness, your lies. Had enough. Go somewhere. Take a walk. We've seen enough. We've had enough. It's time for you to go somewhere, A-Rod. The Yankees don't want you to play. They don't want you back. Why can't you just... Well, I know you want to earn your money. Hey, why not? Got a lot of money coming towards you. I would want to earn that money, too. I would want that money myself. But it's... When is A-Rod going to go to When is he going to finally get suspended? When are they finally going to suspend this guy? I mean, according to reports, MLB has more evidence on A-Rod, more evidence on A-Rod than they had on Ryan Braun. So, and Ryan Braun took the suspension for the rest of the season. So, that tells you something. That That tells you something. They apparently have more evidence on Alex Rodriguez. More evidence on Alex Rodriguez 
than they have Orion Braun. And so, what's that tell you? That tells you that Alex Rodriguez is probably going to get suspended. And at his age, I said this before, at his age, have we seen the last of Alex Rodriguez? Have we seen the last of A-Rod? Did you ever think A-Rod would go out this way? 37 years old. Did did we ever think that A-Rod would go out this way? I didn't. He'll be 38 in a couple days. Never thought he would go out this way. We all thought that he would go out celebrated. We all thought that he would be the guy chasing bonds. We all thought he would be that guy. We all thought, as I said before earlier in the show, he would be the clean home run king. That's what we thought. That's what we were led to believe. So I got all that money with the Yankees. That's why the Yankees were very interested in keeping him around. He did ball. He did make it happen. He did play very well. He did play on a superstar level. So it's very understandable for the Yankees to want to keep him around. But that extra incentive. You know how you remember how when, when Bonds was breaking the records and going for the records, going for Aaron's record, and the amount of intrigue that surrounded Bonds, the, the, the amount of uh, media surrounding Bonds, the amount of intense attention around Bonds. I mean, all this attention around Barry Bonds. And A-Rod was going to be in New York. He is in New York. So the attention would be tenfold in New York City. He would get much more attention from the media, from everybody else. It's New York City. It's New York City. And you look at New York City, it's the Big Apple. And people make a big thing about everything in New York City. You know New York is best in everything. You tell, have a New Yorker tell it. They're the best in everything. Best pizza, New York. Best city, New York. Best party spot, New York. New York, New York, New York, New York. I mean, New Yorkers, they always tell you that they're the best in everything. They always tell you that everything is the best in New York City. Everything is better than in New York City. Everything. Everything is, is, is better in New York City. That's what they tell you. You can believe that if you want. I lived in New York City for two years. I don't believe it. It's a lot of traffic, a lot of people, and a lot of headaches. I don't like New York City. I don't like New York City. Yeah, I said it. I don't like it. And But in New York, everybody, you know, everything's the best in New York. Everything's the best. Oh, man, we're, we're the best. We're New York. Everything's the best in New York City. Everything. We, we're, everything's the best. Subway system. Oh, the best. Oh, the best. Food. Oh, the best. New York City is the best. I mean, it's New York City. I get it. But come on. 
Everything can't be that good in New York City. I, I'll tell you firsthand, it ain't all that good in New York City. I live there. So I'm telling you firsthand, it's a firsthand account of my experience in New York City. It's not a good city to live in. Too many people. Too crowded. Not, not a Great place to visit. Oh, lovely place to visit. Lovely place to visit. But also one of those places, great place to visit. But I sure as heck don't want to live there. I sure as heck don't want to live there. I want to go home. I'm, I don't want home to be New York City. Just don't. Just don't. It is what it is. But I don't like New York City, and everything ain't all great in New York City. Heck, Alex Rodriguez, he ain't all that great. He ain't all that great. Just not. I want to go back to, this, uh, to the NBA now. And Greg Oden, according to sources, worked out with the Pelicans, worked out for the Heat, worked out for the Sacramento Kings, and also worked out for the Atlanta Hawks. And even with everybody working out, even with all those teams that he worked out for, according to some sources, the Mavericks and the San Antonio Spurs also continue to pursue Greg Oden. You look at the whole situation with Greg Oden. You look at what, what happened with Greg Oden. You look at how Greg Oden and what he's went through, played only 82 games, drafted back in 2007, and has played only 82 games. It's just a tragedy in a lot of ways what happened to Greg Oden. He just couldn't stay healthy. Just can't stay healthy. Has not played an NBA game since 2009, December 5th of 2009 to be exact. Has not seen a basketball court, at least an NBA basketball court, since 2009. That's a long time. It's a long time. This is, again, his final chance. This is his final shot to get back into the NBA, his final shot to to have a place in this league, his final chance. And they always say in life, or at least in the NBA, when you have an opportunity and your choice is big or small, you usually go big. Well, that's what the Portland Trailblazers did. They had an opportunity to go big or small, they chose big. Similar situation. Many years ago with Michael Jordan and Sam Bowie, an opportunity to go big or small, they decided to go big. And big was Sam Bowie. And big was Greg Oden. Well, Kevin Durant, who went second in that draft, has had a lot of success. Michael Jordan, we all know the success he's had. All of it has all the success. All the success, all the success that Michael Jordan has had, all the success that Kevin Durant has had. And you look at the uh, the Portland Trail Blazers organization and everything that they've been through, you say this, this, this organization is definitely, there's a hex, a hex, a hex around that organization. 
I mean, how else can you explain it? How else can you explain it? How else can you explain it? I don't think there's any other way to explain it. It's inexplicable. It's inexplicable. How you pick up all those bigs, Bowie and, and draft Greg Oden, and you decide to go big over small. You you picked Oden and Bowie over Jordan and uh, Kevin Durant. And both times, similar situations. Guys just couldn't stay healthy. Both times it came back to bite you in the butt. That, that's got to be very tough. As, and, and it takes a while for organizations to come back from that. I know at the time, you know, I, I definitely know at the time, um, the Blaze, Trailblazers had Clyde Drexler, and at the time, um, Portland had great, uh, Brandon Roy. So it, it's, you could see that it, nece- it wasn't necessarily uh, a need area. It wasn't a need area for them. Picking up, Greg, uh, picking up Kevin Durant wasn't a need. They needed a big. And they decided to go with Greg Oden. Even when, even back then, when they had a uh, Clyde Drexler, they decided to go with Sam Bowie. But uh, so you, you look at it; they're not wrong usually because people do usually pick big over small. You know, you're not wrong in, in in making that determination. I mean, logic tells you. People tell you, history tells you, go big over small. That's what people tell you, go big over small. And Portland listened to that. But both times, it bit him in the butt. But, I, I, I mean, you know, going back to Greg Oden, I want him, I would love to see him get another opportunity in this league. Um, he's a guy that has proven well, not proven because he hasn't proven anything. He hasn't played. But, you know, he showed some promise, showed some shot-blocking ability, very active, a little raw in terms of uh, his ability, his back-to-the-basket game, a little raw in terms of that. Still raw. Very raw in terms of his back-to-the-basket game. But you hope that over these two years, a la... Uh, Amari Stoudemire, remember when Amari had a situation with his knees and everything, how, you know, he kind of worked and perfected other parts of his game. His jump shot got better. So you wonder and you hope that as a similar situation with Greg Oden, you hope that his back-to-the-basket game got better. You hope that maybe his jump shot got better. You hope that all the other facets of the game, non-athletic parts of the game, you hope that all those things got better, got better for uh, Greg Oden. You do. You hope that all those things got better. We'll see. We'll see what happens with Greg Oden moving forward. But uh, you know, it's a, you wish him nothing but the best, and you hope that he can find the right situation for him. And hopefully, that right situation will be whether it's the Pelicans, whether it's the, the Spurs, Mavericks, Kings, Heat. To me, the Heat would be the ideal place, an opportunity to win. 
But granted, there's been talk that he doesn't want to deal with the glare and the glow and the spotlight. He kind of wants to come back. He wants to come back in a quiet way. And maybe New Orleans offers him that. Maybe Sacramento offers him that. But Miami definitely will not offer him that. Any any team that has a level uh, who's in contention is not going to offer him that. I want to thank Israel Adonijay for stopping by. Uh, a guy who's doing some big-time things in the community. Thank you for I thank him for stopping by. I also want to thank Jacqueline Beatham for stopping by. Make sure you check out our show, The Haves and Have Not, each and every Tuesday on the OWN Network, Oprah's Network, Tyler Perry doing big things again. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pgay where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at go for it again. For everybody here at go for it we hope you have a great night. See you later. Take care. Bye.